The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. The chances of a letdown in Morgantown. Could the Vols get caught peeking ahead? This is the College Game Day podcast for Friday, October 28th. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Bill Connolly here to futilely swing at making picks. But I suppose that, uh, that Pete will have the best shot this week, Bill, because he's making picks on his wife's birthday. So uh, perhaps as a present, he can, he can turn in a, a winning record for her this week. I'm going to, I'm going to get used to buying dinner because that's where I am in the picks. And that's what one does on his wife's birthday. So hey, two uh, of us, two of us had winning records last week and I just want to four and three is basically seven and zero at this point. So just, <laughs> we're doing yeah. great. You, you and Pete, because I was three and four, I think. Is that right, Taylor? I was three and four. Yeah, yeah we were correct. right together. You All took right, the yeah. Bruins, correct, Reese? Because we, when we were watching the I, game, I, I yep. did. Yeah, and you know what? In that game, guys, we're standing there, and literally ninety seconds before kickoff, uh, Chip comes over and says something because I'd sent a question with Gene Mojahowski about uh, one of Chip's favorite restaurants and <laughs> Eugene closing, and I wanted Gene to sort of set the it electric up. station. Like, the let's, electric let's station. Let's make sure it gets yeah. its our RIP. Yeah. The electric yeah. station <laughs> to uh, to ask like he was going to ask something really serious and then hit him with that and see what happened. And so Chip comes over like just, you know, a few seconds before kickoff and says, yeah, Gene tried to get me on that or something in reference to that. And when he walked away, I, I felt so good about my UCLA pick. I said, if Chip's that <laughs> loose right now, I was like Bruins by 20. And um, man, Oregon, Oregon was really good. You see that one coming in your numbers, Bill? Well, I saw not a lot of stops coming. Uh, that was kind of the key to, to, you know, who's, who's forcing field goals. And the answer was Oregon. Um, you know, that, that was basically the difference in the game. I think they, uh, what two scoreless drives each total, but UCLA settled for field goals. And that was the difference. Bill there, this is a, the picks we're about to make. This is to me a gut feel week. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not going to give away anything because I'm not sure I can quite bring myself to do it. Like, when West Virginia is giving up, you know, 700 yards a game passing. Uh, Listen and, to your and, gut, Reese. Remember you know, from early weeks. coming in. <laughs> I know, but what I'm, what I'm saying is there are a lot of games where uh, Tennessee, Kentucky is another one. I don't think it makes any sense in the world to, me <laughs> to pick Kentucky. I'm not even tempted on that one, but there are some other ones that are tempting uh, for no reason. So when you are, you are on your formula <clears throat> right there, are you tempted to go with your gut? Are you so locked in to putting everything in your formula that your formula becomes your gut? Well, I definitely trust my formula more than my gut. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I disagree with it sometimes, <laughs> but no, I think what happens is as the year goes on, 
uh, like history becomes or, or circumstance becomes more of a factor. We start thinking about trap games. We start thinking about when these two teams played, like, like Ohio State, Penn State. Every Ohio State game against Penn State is a 13-point win now, and we have that in our head, basically. Um, and I, so I think that kind of colors whatever we've seen of teams this year, we start thinking in other terms. And I'm not going to say that's right or wrong. I think it's probably 50-50 like everything else, but I do think that it makes everything more complicated as the year goes on. Boy, that's a tease line on TCU. I'm just looking right now. That's a that's an oh some good oh, lines this week. Somebody knows something line as old coach. There's, these lines have been ridiculous, and they were ridiculous on Sunday. They, like they've only gotten it's it's a tough week. And the uh, what Syracuse is like only a field goal, and maybe even under that now yeah. um, against Notre Dame. So we've we've set it all up, Taylor. Why don't we? Why don't we start making some picks here and have have some fun and uh, see if we can get this thing out of reverse and going forward with our picks. <laughs> the race for the ribeye. It is good! Teddy would really like that. He's into mooing, by the way. So I haven't yet started weaning him on the podcast, but he does like a good, he has a, like a little book where you can hit the, hit the animal noises and the moo is his favorite. He loves that movie, goes wild for it. That's hilarious. Uh, all right, boys, we've got, well, first of all, stake, the stakes are the stakes. Uh, last week's results, Pete and Bill went four and three. Reese, three and four out of the uh, six games and plus the lock, seven total. This week, we've got seven games to pick plus your locks. A little bit of a weird week. We normally try and pick games with tighter spreads, but uh, you know that it can't always be the case here. So we're going to start with Ohio State, a 15 and a half point favorite Heading to Penn State, noon game. Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill for this one. I I said on Wednesday on the podcast that I felt like I was more impressed with Michigan in its game against Penn State than I became concerned about Penn State. And that is true. But that that being said, giving up 400 yards rushing <laughs> to a team that is, while with a high completion percentage, but not necessarily terribly effective uh, throwing the ball downfield is is cause for concern. Penn State pass defense has been really good statistically. They haven't seen anything at all like what's about to roll in there on Saturday afternoon. Uh, they, they Penn State allows just over 50%. Um, they only allow touchdowns on 40% of their red zone trips. Ohio State's great at those, and those numbers are going to get worse for Penn State this weekend. I'm not calling a blowout because the Nittany Lions will fight their tails off. They'll find a way to get back in the game uh, or at least get back closer to the number, I think, for uh, the Ohio State game. So I'll be I'll be chewing my nails down to the cuticles uh, about whether the spread actually gets covered. But since 2000, Penn State has beaten one AP top five team and they've lost 19 times. Of course, the win was against Ohio State in 16, but it's not going to happen this time. And I'm going to take the Buckeyes, who I believe to be the best team in the country, and lay the 15 and a half on the road and sort of uh, let them stake their claim to being the real number one. So I really feel like there's distinct differences between this year's Ohio State team and previous year's Ohio State teams. And those would be magnified if Jackson Smith and Jigma was, has been healthy all year. Um, 
but I really feel like the differences have come in the trenches and obviously with the, with the new scheme that Jim Knowles has brought in. So Penn state has kind of found ways to hang around with Ohio state, uh, you know, during Ryan day's time there, there was a famous Will Levis game when he came in mm-hmm. off the bench, uh, in, in Columbus, uh, a couple years back, uh, they, you know, Penn state was sort of vexing to Ohio state last year. I think Ohio state has evolved enough where they can go win this game by three touchdowns. I really feel like they'll be able to run the ball consistently behind a, an offensive line that I really think has been revamped under Justin Fry. When you look at Dewan Jones and his leap this year, he's taken at one tackle. Paris Johnson's been great at the other tackle and they've been very solid inside. I just feel like there is, there's enough soundness to Ohio state where before there was some <clears throat> feast or famine. I think there's enough soundness where they can go in push Penn state around, which Penn state showed against Michigan. It was susceptible to, and they can stop Penn state's young tailbacks with a good push up front. So I think the Buckeyes, I'm not, I don't think they're going to win 42 to three, but I think they can consistently dominate outscore them by a touchdown a quarter and, uh, and, you know, get out of there with some type of 35 to 10 win. Yeah. I, um, we were just talking about going against your numbers. I'm going to go against my numbers here. I can come up with plenty of reasons why Penn state, could, could or should cover. I mean, like I said, they lose every game by 13, it seems like, and the line's under that, so there you go. And my numbers say, you know, something closer to uh, Ohio State by 11 um, because Penn State's defense really is excellent. Uh, but I don't think my numbers are really even the sports books have caught up to Ohio State yet. I'm looking at, you know, their performance against SP plus projections. They were plus 29 against Toledo. Like they won by 29 more than expected, plus 16 against Wisconsin, plus seven against Rutgers, plus 11 against Michigan State, plus 22 last week. Um, they are just destroying teams far and away beyond what the projections suggest. And they're the number one overall in SP plus because of it. So I like, I, I hope I'm wrong because I, there's nothing. Ohio State, Penn State, in state college, uh, you know, with a you know, tight game and all that. 2016 was one of my favorite games of in recent memory. But I don't really uh, until Ohio State shows some sort of vulnerability. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick against them right now. This was I, I rank unbeaten's every Tuesday. I have a ranking the unbeaten's piece, and so I had like a for the six remaining. I had one big question for each about like a weakness or a vulnerability or whatever. I, I had nothing to work with from Ohio State. They're, statistically, they have been by far the most weakness-free team out there. And until we see one, I'm not going to pick against them. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's it's going to be fun for a while. Pete mentioned the offensive lineman for Ohio State. Uh, Penn State as another one to keep an eye on if they can get that ground game going. Ulu Fashionu is a guy that, uh, you know, from what I read, might I might be talking about on uh, on draft night very soon. And Clifford Thursday looked good. They, of draft yeah, night. For, yeah, for right. Third, the first night, right? Yeah. Exactly. And um, you know, I think the I, I think Penn State finding the tight end last week was helpful. But man, I don't know, Pete. You said thirty five. If, if I don't know, I mean, I I don't think it's forty two three either. But I think it might be. It might be forty five seventeen, something like that. Yeah, I, uh, I and again, I I hope it's a great game, right? I do like, too. Just sure. you know, it, it's it's one of the few chances we have at a great high profile game this week. So I certainly always you know root for competitiveness, but uh, just oof, man, and like it feels like uh, Ohio State could have scored a hundred against Iowa. They just kicked a bunch of field goals too. Mm-hmm. So it, it it there was nothing about that performance that gave against a very high end defense that gave me any hesitation that they could go score, right? TCU 
the criminally underrated Horn Frogs, in my view, are a seven and a half point favorite going to Morgantown. Could be a little bit of a dicey spot. Noon game. I'm sure they're going to be revved up and ready for it. Let's go. Pete, Bill, Reese. Well, Reese, our friend Pat McAfee certainly let the world know what he thinks of his underachieving Mountaineers uh, during our <laughs> slot machine segment uh, in game day on Saturday. Uh, he is not trusting Neil Brown's process. So I looked at this line and I said, somebody knows something. And I really wanted to pick the Mountaineers because I would love like a good old fashioned noon upset storm the field it's one of the best environments in college football it's a fan base that really thought they'd have a chance to win this year with jt daniels coming and they just really haven't won so that said and again i'm not gonna i'm not gonna channel my inner bill Connolly and uh and overly statistically analyze this but when you are 117th in passing yards allowed, 116th in team passing efficiency defense, 117th in scoring defense, 102nd in turnover margin, um, I cannot in good conscience pick you, not only to pull an upset, but to cover. So if they only lo- if they lose, uh, you know, 57-50 and cover, God bless them. But I am not going to go on that roller coaster ride with them. I think I think I- I'm going to ride with my guy Quentin Johnston, who could have seven touchdowns on uh, on on Saturday. And uh, I just can't bring myself to pick against TCU because their offense is that good, and West Virginia's defense has been that bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I was shocked that this wasn't like a ten point line. Ten feels about right to me. Um, you know, even it's just like to, to pick West Virginia, you, you have to assume letdown game. And the problem with that is that a lot of, we, we are, we're only like 50% right. When we predict letdown game, sometimes the better team just goes out and, and handles its business. So, um, you know, TCU is very comfortable in close games. And, and so even if it is a letdown, maybe they, they, they probably still prevail, I guess, but yeah, I can't. Uh, this it has definitely been a roller coaster for West Virginia this year. They looked legitimately awesome against against a undermanned Virginia Tech, but they still looked really good. They out physicaled Baylor. They they figured out how to to win to define that game and win it, and then they just got lapped by Texas Tech last week. So maybe they respond well, but TCU is just so much more trustworthy here, and, and I'm going to assume it's more of like a ten to thirteen point win for TCU. Are you too familiar with Hypnotoad? <laughs> I apparently it's a, it's an even bigger hit in the stadium than it is on the internet. It is a it's a big hit. It's an animated amphibian character. It it supposedly can hypnotize people into writing good things about all glory to Hypnotoad, and you two apparently have fallen victim to <laughs> Hypnotoad. I. I love TCU and the way they play. They're a lot of fun. Your uh, your stats are are correct, Pete. There's no reason. There's no reason at all to pick West Virginia. There's no reason to think this game's going to do anything other than uh, turn out the way the T-shirt that Max Duggan wore in the post game the other night that said "Frogs by 90" with a hypnotoad <laughs> on it. I mean. Even when you get TCU down three scores, you're not going to beat them. They're just going to come back. The Horned Frogs are just the second team in 20 seasons to rally from 17-point deficits against ranked opponents in consecutive games, joining 2016 Tennessee. 2016, which Tennessee, which went on 
to win the SEC. Oh, no, they didn't. Now, did they? Now, 2016, Tennessee got a little sideways after playing with fire over and over again. And I say 11 o'clock kickoff in Fort Worth, at least games in Morgantown, so it'll be 12. But work with me here. 11 a.m. kickoff, body clock time, early morning kick. We've just won four ranked games in a row. We just came from three score deficits twice, including a double overtime win over a really good team. These guys, they give up a billion yards to Texas Tech, of all people. This is a layup. Give me West Virginia and the points. Ooh, I wanted to do that. I just couldn't do it. (laughs) Just couldn't do it. This is, this is a game that's guaranteed to make you feel stupid one way or the other. Like, yeah, exactly. Be, hey, whatever I almost, happens. Yeah. I almost took West Virginia as a super dog last week. That would have felt stupid. They got beaten by a million. <laughs> I was glad that I talked myself out of that. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pretty confounding line here, guys. Notre Dame headed to the Carrier Dome. Syracuse only a two-point favorite. Let's go Bill Reese-Pete. Notre Dame is absolutely confounding this year. Um, not, not Maybe not as confounding as, as West Virginia, to, you know, to acknowledge that. But, you know, we, it feels like we get a pretty good read on them, you know, what they did to North Carolina, what they did to BYU. Then they just absolutely stink up the place against uh, Stanford. They, they did about what was expected last week against UNLV, and that's fine. But um, knowing – it really feels like a matchups thing here for Notre Dame. If they can just lean on you and play physically and uh, be the bigger team – uh, then you know they can control a game, win close games. That's fine. Um, I guess that's why the line is as close as it is. You know, Syracuse three three five more speed than size, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe the matchups are bad here. Um, my numbers are telling me to pick Notre Dame, and I can't make myself do it. But I've already disagreed with them a little bit. Um, prove me wrong, Syracuse. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the physical team. I'm gonna talk myself out of what I just thought. Um, but I think Syracuse might be too fast and and might end up, it's going to be either a two point Notre Dame win or a 17 point Syracuse win. And I think Syracuse win would be more fun to watch. I'll go Notre Dame though. I sort of have a lot of the same feelings about this game, Bill, because a lot of it is because of Notre Dame's inconsistency. Everything in me uh, (laughs) wants to pick Notre Dame. And I can't really tell you why, because I really, really was impressed with Syracuse. I know Clemson helped them uh, with the turnovers and so forth, but I thought they, I thought they really acquitted themselves well. And 
and looked uh, legit. I mean, and also I want to say this too, Dino Babers, Daffa the Fedora, my friend, how, how great is it when in his Monday news conference, uh, you know, he was questioned about how many times Sean Tucker got the ball. I think Madonna even brought it up on the, uh, on the broadcast and Dino just owned it, said inexcusable not to get Tucker the ball more. And the management at the time, he, he confirmed a mistake. Good for you, Dino Babers. I, I mean, I want them to win because I, I like the way he handles his business and handled his business in this situation like that. Just, just answered it and, and owned it. Didn't you know get all testy and defensive to legitimate questions. They won't make that mistake again. Sean Tucker's going to get the ball a lot, um, I would imagine. And because of that, I want to feel like there's a bounce back for Syracuse at home, but I, I don't know. I just feel like this, this feels <laughs> like a Notre Dame game to me. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Irish and take the points. I'm going to agree with Reese. This game is going to be a slog, and I think it's going to be low scoring. Um, I think it's going to be dictated by, by both defenses, and I don't expect to see a glut of passing touchdowns. Notre Dame is extremely limited at the quarterback position right now with Drew Pine. They're also limited with the skill players they have on the, uh, on the outside. So that, that said, I do feel like Notre Dame has sort of slowly started to craft a, a little bit of an identity by moving the ball on the ground. And its young tackles are growing up. They've got three bell cow tailbacks, and I really feel like they can find a way to go up there and uh, and, and win a game. These these next two games are really going to you know help define Marcus Freeman's first season at Notre Dame. If you can win at Syracuse, uh, you know against top twenty team, and then beat Clemson at home, uh, you know a, a lot of people will forget about that that you know mind bending Marshall loss. Um, I do feel like. Since that North Carolina win, which really now in retrospect looks like a pretty good win yeah. to go there to go there and win on win on the road, the Notre Dame has 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 found itself uh, has found itself some. Obviously, that they, they did lose to Stanford at home. I, I'm not I'm not ignoring that, but I feel like this is a low scoring slobber knocker. It's kind of come down to last play for as much as we remember the Syracuse that uh, you know really went toe-to-toe with Clemson and Death Valley. There's also the Syracuse that went toe-to-toe with Virginia on that Friday night. <laughs> yeah. So um, the truth is somewhere in the middle, and I think Notre Dame figures out a way to win. Yeah, this is a game where the stats pretty clearly uh, define things a little bit in terms of matchups. You know, my success rate measure, you know, how frequently are you getting 50% on first of, of yards on first down, 70% on second, 100% on third. Uh, Syracuse's offense is 15th in passing success rate, but Notre Dame's defense is 12th. Uh, Notre Dame's deep offense is actually 33rd in passing success, right? They just don't make any big plays, but Syracuse is 27th and very well uh, organized in pass defense. Run, however, favors both offenses massively. Syracuse is 30th in rushing success rate. Notre Dame's defense is 95th. Notre Dame's offense is 29th. Syracuse's defense is 113th. So it's really going to come down to you know, estimate and the, the Notre Dame, the big Notre Dame backs and Tucker on the, uh, on the edge, like who's just, who's doing more damage in the ground game. I guess that's a game Notre Dame can win. I feel horrible about this pick just like the others, but well, I, I, I guess we're going to go with that. It is good. It's a party in Jacksonville, Georgia facing Florida, the Bulldogs, a 22 and a half point favorite. <laughs> Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill. 
you'd like to say rivalry game and and all of that. Uh, but this this uh, series has a history of beatdowns. I mean, there have been some great games too, for sure. But the better team in this matchup often takes out a big shovel and hits the other guy in the face. <laughs> um, you know, Florida, uh, Florida for years was vexed by Georgia. I think the first time in uh, the Gators' history that they ever made it to number one. It was in the 80s, and they played Georgia, and Vince Dooley and company just smoked them. Um, you know, Georgia's defense might not be what it was last year, but I, the numbers are very similar. Florida's offense uh, has has been erratic. You know, Anthony Richardson's capable of making big plays on the ground. That has Kirby worried to death. Uh, Georgia's got a couple of guys down, um, but I just, man, I hate to lay that big a number but I just, I just don't see how, how Florida keeps up with them because I just don't trust enough uh, busted plays, um, you know, long passes to Justin Shorter, actually hitting them uh, against Georgia or Richardson escaping pressure and running, you know, 80 yards or whatever he did against LSU. I don't think that happens against Georgia, at least uh, not often enough. So uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, say in, in beautiful downtown Jacksonville that um, that the dogs win and cover the number. I'm in a little bit of a different boat here. I, I think the infallibility image we have of Georgia from their opener is, uh, is, is been too distinct and there have just been enough snapshots of vulnerability where I think Florida in a rivalry game with Anthony Richardson's number being called and, you know, Georgia, doesn't have an unbelievable pass rush, especially compared to where they were last year. So I feel like they can they can cobble together some offense and Florida can figure out a way to cover. Um, I do I, I you don't want to underestimate the emotion of this game. It's one of the great games to uh, to to be at and to cover. And I, and I feel like there's some there's some pride on the line here for uh, for, for Florida. So I am going to uh, I'm going to roll with the with more of the image of the dogs I saw in Columbia that night. I'm sure Bill was in attendance with his Barry Odom jersey. Then the then the dogs we saw in Atlanta. The truth's probably somewhere in the middle, and I don't think that's 23 points better. <laughs> I, I was just looking at uh, how Georgia's done against projections. They've either overachieved or underachieved in every single game by two touchdowns or more. Um, it's, it's all or nothing. They're either going to win by 38 or like, you know, one. Yeah. But... <laughs> If those are my options, I kind of feel like 38 is way more likely than one. I am going to go like the SP plus says like Georgia by 16. I'm going to, I'm going to tack on a touchdown to that. And I, I'm going to say Georgia covers. Uh, I just hate the matchups here. Like that Georgia doesn't throw deep very well. Like that's something Stetson Bennett among, among all the good quarterbacks in the country. He throws the worst deep ball at the moment. They they're not very explosive passing, but he'll beat you with 13 yard passes all day. And Florida has been beaten by 13 yard passes all, all year. They're going to run as much as they want to. They might give up one big gain to Richardson, but I doubt they give up two. And so that just uh, all these matchups are are convincing me that that Georgia wins by you know twenty four to twenty eight or thirty eight or whatever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go that direction. It is good. We got a big game in the Big Twelve here. Oklahoma State traveling to Kansas State. Kansas State a one point favorite. Big in the sense that these two teams are trying to keep pace with TCU. So let's go, Pete, Bill, Reese for this one. 
interesting game here as Oklahoma State tries to carry some momentum from the uh, from the comeback against Texas after it fell apart the prior week against uh, against TCU. And these are two teams that I, I think the spread is right. These are two teams that I don't have, you know, a lot of conviction for either one with uh, with where they are. It looks like Spencer Sanders is healthier for Oklahoma State. He, uh, you know, his shoulder seemed to hold up better, and he played well late in the uh, in the game against Texas, which is obviously good news for Oklahoma State. Kansas State obviously faltered late in, uh, in in Fort Worth, but they have they have really seemed to find a way to just kind of cobble together good offense and in ways to go on the ground. I think this will be a low scoring game. I don't think it will be an aesthetic beauty, and I'm going to take K State. A little bit because of home momentum, a little bit because Adrian Martinez, as crazy as the sound, I think has earned our trust at this point. So I think they can win a I think they can win a home game here. And I think they can uh, you know, they can outslug Oklahoma State. I think they can drag this game to the kind of matchup and style that they want for K State. Twenty eight point three two to twenty eight point three. That's the that's the official uh, SP plus projection for this game. Uh, Kansas State by zero point zero two, uh, which mean which is to say my numbers don't help me at all in this one. Um, I I guess I, you know the best way to find an advantage here is just to look at the health of the quarterbacks. We were unsure about Spencer Sanders last week, and he um, came through just dramatically outdueled Quinn Ewers down the stretch. Um, looked looked just fine throwing the ball. Ran a little bit like that was all. Uh, you know, he kind of put to de- put to rest any worries there. On the other side, though, I mean, Will Howard they came out uh, with just a you know caught TCU flat footed after Adrian Martinez left the game, and then TCU adjusted, and that was that. It sounds like Martinez they're not going to know uh, until late. Uh, you know whether he's going to be able to go or not, and just that doubt, I guess, is going to make me lean towards Oklahoma State. I do think they're good enough up front defensively that they can, you know, they'll give up a few big plays because Kansas state makes big plays and Oklahoma state gives, gives them up. But I could see it being a situation like the TCU game where it's just all or nothing. There, there are some huge explosions for K state and a whole lot of punts and three and outs. So I guess, uh, I, I guess I'm going to lean OSU. This, um, the significance of this game as it pertains to getting to the big 12 championship game is more than just one game because the loser not only loses the head-to-head battle in the event of a tie at the end with the other one, but the loser, for all intents and purposes, you know, depending on what happens with TCU, could fall three games behind TCU uh, with tiebreakers and so forth. So there, this will this will go a long way uh, toward determining whether they, the winner still has a chance or if the loser has a chance to get in the Big 12 championship game. This is the hardest one to pick because if Martinez were healthy, if Howard were completely healthy, I'd go Kansas State at home. Uh, Oklahoma State, in addition to Sanders, you know, I haven't seen, and I've done some uh, poking around, some searching. Maybe Pete knows, and we just haven't talked about it yet, about the Jason Taylor injury after he made the interception. You know, that didn't look good. So is Oklahoma State down another guy uh, on defense? I'm going to go. I'm going to go Kansas State largely on home field. Uh, I, I know better than to, than to doubt the mullet uh, because they, they consistently get it done when the backs are against the wall. But given some of the uncertainty on defense and home field and it's only a point, I'll, um, uh, 
I'll kind of learn a lesson from all of the home teams that keep winning this year and, and <laughs> go with Kansas State. It is funny with Oklahoma State. It feels like, I mean, they're a very young team in a lot of ways, but if just if we're talking about you know a brawl, it feels like they're in a brawl every single week, and they mm-hmm. know how to handle it. And you know they let the TCU game just barely slip away from them, but they won't beat Texas in a brawl and Tech and Baylor. So I just feel like I trust them in those uh, tight quarters more than just about anybody else. You know, everybody likes to likes to pick on Mike, and you know sometimes he brings it on himself. <laughs> I get I get that, but um, but at the same time, did you guys see what he said to the team? Uh, and it sort of had some play when the injury started to unfold. I guess, I think it was Saturday morning when he talked to them. He said, we have, you know, 70 guys in travel and everybody else that's in, in here dressed. He's like, every one of you is good enough. Said you wouldn't be here if you aren't. And he said, so, you know, you'll have, if your chance comes and all of that kind of thing, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But basically, told them he had confidence in them and they were all good enough to win this game, regardless of what their status was or how much experience they had or what their class rank was, all of that type of thing. And they had guys step in when they yep. had injuries and perform, and, and they won that game against Texas. I don't, I'm going to tell you, I don't feel great picking against them. I, re- <laughs> I really don't. But uh, I'll, I'm just – this is purely a home, home field pick, how healthy is Oklahoma State, a couple of real tough games back-to-back. Not that Kansas State didn't have one. And I'm assuming Kansas State will have – uh, you know, one of the quarterbacks healthy enough to play. Gundy's always one of the most fascinating guys. Just, you know, I mean, it, it, it does not take much prompting to get him going on a, you know, a kids these days and their cell phones kind of rant. <laughs> but on the sideline during a game, he is the calmest coach in America. It, like he never betrays any doubt whatsoever. And I do think that bleeds over onto his team a little bit. Yeah. Similar to our last game, we've got two teams jockeying for second place in the standings, trying to keep pace with an undefeated Tulane. That's Cincinnati <laughs> heading to UCF. This game is a pick 'em. Let's go, Pete Bill Reese. I think one of the eye popping scores from last week was uh, UCF's trip to Greenville, where they got pummeled 34 to 13. The game wasn't close, it was 17 to 3 at the half. Uh, John Reese Plumley. Uh, through three interceptions for UCF, and maybe more notably, Holton Ehlers, who's been a nice quarterback there, but not a dominant one, was 30 for 36 against <laughs> the UCF defense. So I I really feel like UCF could rebound, and they could come back from what was really a spanking uh, by, by East Carolina, but I'm not going to stake my stake on that, right? Um, Cincinnati's really forged a nice little identity here. It's uh, we, We've talked about this a little bit on game day where you can't take that snapshot of week one and carry it on. They were, they were good in Fayetteville in week one, but they were self-destructive and ended up losing to Arkansas. And with Ben Bryan at quarterback, with a little more offensive reliance, with Ivan Pace playing at an All-American level on their defense, Cincinnati is quietly forged a, a, a nice little identity. And if there's one thing about Luke Fickle, I believe they have won now 19 straight AAC games. Uh, <laughs> it isn't always pretty. They're, they'll get in mud fights with Tulsa. They'll get in mud fights with USF, but they figure out a way to win. And I'm just not ready with UCF coming off, laying that dinosaur egg to, to pick them to beat Cincinnati and end that streak. 
UCF was one of the hottest teams in the country heading into last week. I mean, you know, they you beat FAU by 26, Georgia Tech by 17, SMU by 22. Temple is obviously limited, but they won by 57. Like they were, they were absolutely, they were flying up the rankings. Um, and then last week happened. And, and, and now I have absolutely no idea what to think. I mean, ECU does this like once a year, they put together an inexplicably awesome performance and they're otherwise just kind of decent. So maybe that was it. Maybe it was just a perfect storm of turnovers and everything else. And and now UCF will go be, go back to being that other team for a while. Uh, but I'm not going to trust that. And in this one, I am just going to lean straight on the numbers. It says since he by 1.7, which isn't a lot to go on, but I, I do. I can. I can get behind that. I think since it is just a a little bit more trustworthy right now. We Luke Fickle always has a thing where you know as soon as he can, he goes into game management mode, and sometimes uh, that backfires. And suddenly, uh, you know, as fourteen or seventeen point lead, it, they have to make a red zone stop to to see out the win and whatnot. But um, you know, they don't have to. A win by one is a cover in this case, I guess. So we're going to go Cincy. I think with the Cincinnati defense, it's really hard to you know believe that. John Rice Plumley, exceptional athlete that he is, will be a consistent enough thrower to you know make the type of plays you'll need to consistently move against the Bearcat defense. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of with you. I was, I, I I smelled a little something with East Carolina with uh, UCF going on the road, maybe not quite being locked in. Um, one of these days, I'm going to learn. Not to not to doubt Cincinnati um, too often, and it's not really that I doubt them. It's just I sort of smell a a response from UCF. So pick them game at home. Uh, I think old Gus will get them up off the deck, and um, I might I might do the thing that LC Lee Corso has done with Clemson, uh, while certainly not as serious. But if Cincinnati. Um, gets by this again after I pick against them. Maybe I will uh, Maybe I will vow to not pick against Cincinnati a single time the rest of the season, no matter who they play. But I'm going to go UCF. What do you think about that? It is good! All right. Kentucky with Will Levis heading to Knoxville. The Volunteers, a 12 and a half point favorite. Let's go, Bill Reese Pete. This is by far, in terms of just matchups and, you know, unit versus unit, man on man kind of stuff. Like, this is my favorite matchup of the, or favorite game of the week, I should say. This is, um, you know, Kentucky right now, sixth in defensive SP plus, which is about what Alabama was. And Tennessee didn't have any problem with them whatsoever, but it's a completely different kind of defense. Lots and uh, lots of zone. They don't blitz a lot. They hem you in. I know Anthony Richardson was supposedly kind of a little bit on the, uh, on the banged upside when, when they were playing Florida, but he, he, he scrambled for four yards all game um, against Kentucky. You know, Hendon Hooker can obviously beat you with his arm, but about once a quarter, he steals a first down with his legs and, and you're less likely to do that against Kentucky than other teams. So I think this is a just a completely different experience for for Tennessee. This is a really really physical Kentucky team. Obviously now with Chris Rodriguez Jr., they're actually kind of running the ball semi efficiently, and they're not just asking Will Levis to catch them up and make every third uh, third and eight pass anymore. And and that's a good thing too. If if Levis is healthy, I think this is a 
this is a massive, massive test for Tennessee. Um, it'll kind of test whether they're just a really fun team with an awesome offense and a defense that's going to eventually let them down, or if they're actually a contender, just a straight SEC and national title contender. So I'm going to say that I'm going to say Tennessee survives, but much closer than the line, something more in the in the four to seven range, maybe. Uh, and I'm picking Tennessee or Kentucky to cover. Well, I'm not picking Kentucky to cover. Uh, <laughs> Kentucky hasn't scored more than 26 points in an SEC game yet. They did a good job getting pressure on Hooker last year, and he was ineffective when they did. They got more pressure on him than um, anyone has in any of his starts at Tennessee, pressuring him on 36% of the dropbacks. And maybe they'll do that again. Um, I don't think – I'm not – trying to sit here and say that Tennessee's offense is invincible and that you can never figure it out. Nobody will ever be able to stop it or anything like that. But I do think that after a week to come back down um, following the Alabama performance, a game in which they're going to be challenged because everybody's thinking they're going to be looking ahead uh, to next week. I'm going to take Tennessee to cover because I think the line is way too low. Uh, (laughs) Give me some evidence that, I mean, look, if Kentucky does a great job, Tennessee will probably score 35 points, right? You know, give me some real hard evidence that Kentucky can score more than 21, even against, a, you know, a good, not great Tennessee defense, which actually I think does, and Bill, may, you can correct me if I'm wrong, they're a little better against the run than the pass. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that, you know, Levis is a talent. No question about it. But I haven't seen necessarily the productivity that would lead me to believe that they're going to go in there and spin Bean all over them. I know he he had a great game against them last year. I think Tennessee's a little better this year. I think the I think the Big Orange covers and sets up the showdown uh, with undefeated Georgia next week. I think the evidence you need that Kentucky can score more is that they scored forty two against them last year. So I and you think, so you don't think Tennessee's better on defense this year than last year? I don't think they're twenty points better. Um, I think they are better and they are improved, but I think the improvement of their offense has taken some stress off the defense and the defense has gotten to play against one dimensional offenses because they've streaked ahead like they did in in Death Valley that day. So I am going to stay with Bill. I'm going to take the wimp out uh, Kentucky covers, um, but does not win. I think that Mark Stoops is a master of ball control, game control. I think Chris Rodriguez chunking off five yards a clip. I think Cavassier smoke uh, is a little change of pace. And I think it is grind, grind, take the crowd out of it. And I think there is some pucker power that is going to come to play with Tennessee here. (laughs) All right. Their season has just been this relentless joyride. And I feel like there's a couple hairpin turns coming on uh, Saturday. I'm not saying Kentucky's going to win, but I just don't think Tennessee is good enough, even with Cedric Tillman likely back to just streak the quad on every team they play and score 55. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, Kentucky has the longest streak in the country of allowing 24 or fewer points. Does that come to an end? Oh, yeah. I think that <laughs> Okay. I think that will come to an end. That's a great I, I stat. Will. That's a great stat. Is that Marissa? Is that her handiwork? Uh, I do not think. I was, uh, was dug up elsewhere, I believe. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Nu- that's, a good that's a good nugget. By the way, some gambling advice that 
nobody listening to this podcast is actually seeking, but <laughs> yeah. you're going to get <laughs> Don't listen to this podcast um, if you want gambling advice. That's the best gambling advice. The, the tempo, I have a, an adjusted tempo rating yeah. that I've kind of tracked that um, just basically looks at, you know, it looks at your run pass rate and then looks at your seconds per play and says like, who's going faster than expected based on that. Um, Tennessee averages about six seconds fewer per snap than the average team based, based on the run pass rate. That's second in the country, I believe, only behind Ole Miss actually. Uh, Kentucky averages 6.1 more seconds per snap is 131st is the slowest team in the country in that way. And, and so to me, what that screams is if you think, if you believe that Kentucky is going to cover and they're going to slow Tennessee's defense or offense down enough to, to lose by less than 13, I guess, then maybe go with the under two, uh, because that's probably going to, those are probably pretty correlated right there. And on the other side, if you think Tennessee is going to win by 14, 17, 20 points, just go ahead. And it doesn't even matter what the over is. Just go ahead and hit the over two. You know, I I think Bill, I think that's the, that's the whole thing because the, the pucker factor that, that Pete brought up, yeah, that will, that will enhance if Tennessee (laughs) starts getting anxious about how often they get the ball. You know, I mean, if uh, that that's the path, if you which I, I mean, I'm on the side of, the, of Tennessee covering and the game may go that way, but I still think they'll score enough to cover 12 and a half. Um, but that's that's the that's the path to either a massive Kentucky upset or to at least staying close is to is to hold the ball and frustrate them and make them anxious and anxiety often causes mistakes. All right, fellas, let's shut it down with your locks. We'll go uh, Reese, Pete, Bill. Reese, are you taking the Michigan Wolverines over the Spartans? I am. I, I, I am. I dropped the nugget that no team as an unranked squad uh, has beaten another when ranked more often than Michigan State has beaten Michigan. 11 times they've done it in the AP poll era. Nobody's done it more. Mel Tucker is perfect against Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, 2-0. That comes to an end in a resounding fashion on Saturday in the big house. Harbaugh has been known to go ahead and and lay an elbow smash just to finish you (laughs) off when given the opportunity, and I think he will. And if you're also looking for omens that maybe Sparty's not quite on its game this year, uh, last week they dropped a game graphic on social media telling you when the kickoff was, network covering and all of that type of thing. And in an effort to troll Michigan, they took the block M and turned it upside down. You know what an upside down M is? It's a W. And that's what Michigan is going to get. Uh, Whatever the number is, that's the lock. I say the Wolverines take out some frustration uh, on Sparty Saturday. So if I am up, I am going to go on the unnamed principle that we've uh, that I have abided by this year to moderate success, the queasiness principle. <laughs> if there is a team that I have to pick that just makes me queasy, like how, how did I possibly like, you know, get behind X, right? So I look at Ole Miss, Texas A&M, and I see Ole Miss favored by two and a half in College Station. And there is just no way I would dream of actually oh, putting no. any energy or meet uh, what we're betting here, obviously stakes behind that Texas A&M offense, because it has just been beyond dreadful to watch. Now is, is this Ole Miss team a little bit of a one trick pony? Absolutely. But at least they got a pony. 
Texas A&M is 105th in rushing offense. It's 87th in passing offense. It's 109 in scoring offense. Uh, Ole Miss has distinctly better numbers than that, uh, including their number 16 in scoring offense. And you have to score to win games. Ole Miss can score. Texas A&M cannot score. Uh, They're in the same category with Rutgers and Colorado for the number of FBS teams they played and not scored more than 25, I believe, was the number. So in in the spirit of scoring more points, I think Ole Miss has shown its deft to do that, and they are my lock of the week. Yeah. I guess uh, we're allowed to pick up point totals, right, as as our sure. locks, even though we don't do it. Um, it's kind of – it always feels like a cop-out, and, and it's, a, you know, it's not as fun to root for. I did, by the way, in my Friday columns, I decided just – I just declared that I'm going to stop picking unders because points are fun, and so you're basically rooting against fun. Um <laughs> But I found it over I like this week. Uh, Arizona State at Colorado is at 46.5. It's been basically there all week. Three of 14 games but that those two teams have played have gone under 46.5 points. Um, that, that feels like odds I can get behind. Now, two of those three came in the last two weeks. Uh, you know, Stanford you know, turned that game into a rock fight a little bit. And, and Lord knows Arizona State's de- uh, offense isn't consistent at all but everybody's offense is pretty consistent against Colorado's. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I feel pretty good about 46.5. It's the safest. My numbers are, are driving me crazy this week because just look at just laying out possible picks for Friday's column and all that. It's saying, Hey, Auburn plus four against Arkansas or, you know, ECU plus three against BYU, even though they're guaranteed to have a hangover from last week. Uh, I don't feel good about those at all, but I feel pretty good about Arizona state, Colorado over. You know, Pete, Pete, you pulled the old switcheroo. I was like, he's not going to ride the Aggies for the lock. here. I, I thought for just a second when you started, I was like, you've no. got to be kidding here. But no, that was, that was and, and I'm sure you're going to be on this. There are some things bouncing around on the interwebs right now that um, there's a deeper issue in terms of uh, holding, holding that vaunted class together. But who knows whether that's real or just uh, – interweb panic by by Aggie fans which uh, probably I, a little bit of both well there's there's never uh there's never a good reason to panic I mean how does panicking ever help you some you know I heard someone say once you know well maybe if you know you were know you're headed for sure doom and a um, plane crash or skydiving accident or whatever it might be and then the point remains okay, the parachute didn't open, now I'm going to panic? How exactly is that going to help me? So panic never helps, but there's probably a fair amount of that going on in College Station. Anyway, gentlemen, I, I wish you luck to a degree with your <laughs> with your picks this week. Pete and I are going to have a great time uh, in Jackson. Uh, Jackson State's the site for College Game Day tomorrow morning. Hope you'll tune in for that. Uh, for Bill and Pete and our entire terrific College Game Day podcast crew, I'm Reese Davis. Please download these podcasts wherever it is that you like to listen. See you next time.